Time for our wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. How are you today, Denny? I am doing quite well. It uh, looks like it's going to be a nice day, and I think it's going to be a, for a fishing opener and then a nice Mother's Day, too. Yes, and for Mother's Day, I thought I would broach the subject of giving Mom some roses, maybe some rosés. Rosé is a wonderful wine, and boy, I'll tell you, if you look at wines over the past 50 years, I've never seen anything like the explosive growth of rosé wine in the last 10 years. It's just incredible. Double digits upon double digits upon double digits over the last decade, maybe even a little longer. Rosé has always been around, but it all of a sudden is being discovered by everybody. Consumers, the winemakers themselves, people who had never dreamt of making a rosé wine are now making rosé wine. And make it, and I'm very proud of the fact that they do. And uh, rosés have been around for a long, long time. In fact, early winemakers in ancient Roman times and that, most of the wines were kind of rosé anyway because they didn't leave the skins in contact with the uh, juice very long. And therefore, the wines were not as intense. Red wines weren't deep red like they are today and looked more like a robust rosé. Uh, than they did uh, red wine. But that winemaking, of course, has evolved and changed in many ways. In many ways, of course, it's the same simple procedure that they used thousands of years ago. But today they're a little more sophisticated with equipment, etc. And uh, rosé wine really took off after World War II. And the reason was two Portuguese families, Matus and Lancers, created these wines in very distinctive bottles. The Matus came in kind of a exaggerated books bottle, which is a skinny little neck and then a wide bottom bottle on it, uh, almost like a flask. And then the Lancers came in a clay crock. And of course, uh, like the old wicker Rafia Chianti, uh, the people would put a candle in. People put candles in those Lancers bottles and had them around their recreation room or their dining room table and made a nice candle holder and they put it on the table, get covered with wax and be very charming. But the wines appealed to mainly Americans. And although they were popular worldwide at their peak uh, in the 60s, uh, they were selling over 25 million cases of those wines around the world. And uh, thus, interest in uh, rosé was just booming. In fact, most people that are of certain age, uh, Matus or Lancer is probably the first wine they ever had. I can remember going into restaurants years and years ago where those would be the only two wines they'd have on the entire wine list. But uh, the real popularity of rosé actually came in a very unusual way, and that was with the Trinchero family brought out White Zinfandel. Sutter Home White Zinfandel was the very first one. They had a lot of Zinfandel, and they didn't have much white wine, so he created White Zinfandel. In other words, made a rosé, actually, out of it, a little on the sweet side. So that was a boon for rosés, but also uh, not good for them either, because uh White Zinfandel is, by its very nature, a little sweeter. And people would say, ah, I'm just not, you know, I don't like sweet wines. Well, believe me, rosés 
for the most part, are not sweet. Yes, Lancers was sort of sweet, so was Matus, and certainly White Zinfandel was very sweet. But rosés, as I said, have been around a long, long time. And after World War II, when, when the popularity of these first two came, and then we went through the White Zinfandel, and then all of a sudden people in the last 20 years started to take rosé wines very seriously. There's wonderful rosé wines come from all over the world. And as I said today, people who drew years ago would never, ever have dreamt winemakers who rosé wine is beneath them. All of a sudden today are making it. I was flabbergasted. We did accounts in our stores of the rosés we have. We have over 200 different rosés. And that doesn't include all the box rosés and some of the jug wines that come in rosé. But the... Making of rosé is pretty simple. One thing that is absolutely prohibited, and people should be aware of that, is it's never a blend of red and white wine. In fact, in France, that's totally illegal. In a few other countries, you can do it, but it's very rarely done because you, you don't get the real intense that you want. Usually with a rosé, uh, the skins are kept in contact with the juice, for anywhere from 12 to 24 hours. And that's what determines the color. And the colors, of course, are all over the board from uh, almost the same color as a red wine, as, uh, you know, pale onion skin or uh, the sheerest of pink things. And uh, usually uh, they pull that off. There's a method called Sanji in France, which means bleeding. And what they do, that's a very common thing to do when you produce red wine, is you bleed it, so you're taking some of that juice off, and so, so the grape skins and stems can intensify into the wine a little bit. And that Sanji juice can be fermented and then made into a rosé. So that's one way of doing it. And the other and most common is to take red wine, or red grapes, I say, I should say, and then uh, let them in contact with the must or the liquid for a short period of time. And usually that's any from a low end of, say, six hours to a high end of 24. And that's what produces the color. And you can get colors, as I said, it runs the gamut. Cantaloupe, peach, uh, mandarin orange comes to mind. Pale onion skin comes to mind. And then you get all these different aromas and flavors that you get from all of the different grape pipes they use. And, and rosé is generally uh, made from red wine, uh, or, or I'm sorry, red grapes. And the result of flavor of that is just terrific. Aroma, you know, I can't say enough nice things about rosé as an aperitif. When you're uh, waiting for dinner or something, a really good rosé makes a very, very elegant wine. Uh, to have as an aperitif makes a very elegant aperitif. Uh, and of course, the French make wonderful rosé. Uh, they've been at it probably the longest, even though you know the Spanish and Italians have all been making wine for a long time. And they make a lot of rosé in Spain and Italy, and even uh, Germany produces some rosé. Uh, and Portugal, as we said, was really the ball carrier for the rosé explosion such a long time ago. But uh, the nuances of a delicate rosé are really something to appreciate. And as I say, French rosés 
are some of the best in the world. Provence, over half of the wine made in Provence, 60% of it is rosé. They make white and red all over Provence too. But the big popular one is uh, rosé. You know, when you're making 60% of your production and you make all kinds of different grapes and 60% is rosé, it's usually an indication uh, that the wine's pretty good. The rosés from Provence uh, will go very well with lots of different things. My favorite is to have bouillabaisse with rosé of Provence. Bouillabaisse is a fish stew that's a very popular Mediterranean dish in France. And they put on the top these croutons or crusts of bread that they put aioli on. And aioli is nothing more than a garlic mayonnaise. And boy, I'll tell you, when you have a good dry rosé with a, a good bowl of that bouillabaisse, you know that everything is just wonderful around the world. It really is terrific. Then there's another area that produces really good rosés in France, and that is the Rhone Valley. In fact, the Rhone Valley boasts Tavelle, which is the only Appellation in France that is all rosé. It is probably the most distinctive rosé. I know you've heard me talk about it before, uh, of, that's made. It's made primarily from Grenache. There's a little Syrah and Chinsalt in there, uh, and the other red grape types that they make with. But all they make in this big region of Tavelle, which is about maybe 10, 12 miles from Chateauneuf de Pop, uh, is rosé. And it's an outstanding rosé. I remember the first time I had it, I think it was in Monaco, uh, and I never forgot that. It was a great discovery for me, and I have been a fan of Tavelle's ever since. And then the other rosés they get from the Rhone Valley are really terrific, too. Uh, in fact, there are some real good bargains there, little Cote de Rhone that are a rosé, are uh, not only pleasant to drink, they're very pleasant to the pocketbook because they're not terribly expensive. And then uh, the Loire Valley in France produces some of the greatest rosé in the entire world. The Rosé d'Anjou, which is uh, an area in the Loire, it's a town, Anjou, is very, very popular, and it's a wonderful rosé. And you can even get Sancerre, which is perhaps the best white wine produced in the Loire Valley, and you can get a Sancerre rosé. It really is a, a great place to go for rosés in the Loire Valley. So not only France, but then, of course, in our country, so many people make wonderful rosés, uh, especially when you get out to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, they're really doing some wonderful things with rosé out of Oregon. and. Uh, they really should be tried. And, and, you know, as I said, a great time uh, for mom is maybe pick her a half a dozen roses or rosés uh, that she can share with you. Because uh, let's face it, a bottle of wine for mom for Mother's Day is a bouquet that you can both share. I love that idea, and I know mom will too. Well, there's one place I can tell you, a variety of locations certainly, but that's that family-run business called Haskell's. Indeed, the folks at Haskell's for 85 years have been providing the Twin Cities with the best and finest of wines, spirits, and beers that we can avail ourselves to. And I'll tell you, they can make 
you the meal just perfect by picking the right wine to go with it. And best of all, they'll help you pick a wine that will not break the bank. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine and pick up a rosé or two for mom. Haskell's in Bloomington, Shanhassen, or Haskell's in Excelsior, Faribault, Maple Grove. Our super seller in Maple Grove is not to be missed. In downtown Minneapolis, there's free parking on Saturday and Sunday. Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com. It'll take you right to the Haskell's website. And incidentally, Haskell's has these wonderful boat cruises on the St. Croix the last Saturday of all three summer months, July, August, and September. And it's a great cruise, and that would make another great Mother's Day present. Oh, yeah. A ticket on the boat. She'd love that. Jack, let's talk again one week from today. You know, Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. Thank you very much, Jack. Jack Farrell from Haskell's.